Father, thank you so much for this opportunity you've given us to be in your word. And thank you for this time you've given us to praise you and to sing unto you and to now declare your excellencies. I do pray that you'd prepare the soil of our hearts, that we'd be receptive, that we would not only be taught, but we would receive what uh, you want us to know, that we would uh, become more like your son, Jesus, that you would use this time for your glory. And so we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, probably most of you have said that you have trusted in Jesus Christ, that you have faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, unfortunately, at times, there are those who have faith, but that faith may not be a faith that saves. And what do I mean by that? In the book of James, uh, James says in chapter 2, verse 14, What use is it, my brother, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Or literally in the Greek, is that saving faith? If your life hasn't changed, is the faith that you say you have really real? Is it really real? He even says later on in chapter 2 of James, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? We're going to see the reality today is that there are hearers of the word, and then there are those who hear and are changed by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ and are abled, enabled then to do what God says. And so with that in mind, today's message is about answering the question, are you a doer of the word? I'm not saying a do-gooder, but a doer of the word or just a deluded hearer. And we as believers should, by the power of spirit, be just doing what he says. And it's my prayer, as you turn to our passage today, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, that if you don't know the Lord, that the Lord would change you. Because there are some people who are trying to be doers their hardest. They're trying their hardest to obey God. It's just not happening. And the reality is maybe there's an issue in the heart that needs to be dealt with so that one can be right before the Lord and then his power and strength can enable you to be a doer. Again, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verse 9, and we're slowly, or not slowly, we're rapidly coming to the end of our study in the book of Philippians to be praying about what the Lord would have us do next. Let me share the context for this book to bring us up to the place where we are today. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing the saints, and these are believers who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. He is writing to them from Rome, and he is under house arrest 24-7 for preaching the gospel. This is one of his prison epistles, uh, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and it most likely was written around 62 AD, about 10 years after he had the great privilege to share the gospel with those who began the church at Philippi. Now, the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church were very close to one another. We see that. And, and in chapter 1, he has already lovingly prayed for them, his desire for them. And he has shared and been revealed his thankfulness for God's past work in them and that he was confident that God would complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. And the Apostle Paul has also shared his circumstances because they were concerned for him. He was, he was in prison. It didn't appear as though he was able to do the work that God had called him to do, but he was in prison. But he said his circumstances had turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Although he was imprisoned, the gospel was not. And then we saw the attitude of the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
But he understood that to live on would be more profitable for the Philippians. And he understood that when, whether in life or death, he desired that Christ would be magnified. And then at this point, he went to address the Philippians' attitudes, where they were to be united, they were to be humble, they were to be like Christ Jesus, thinking like him. They were to have the mind of Christ. And after sharing the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, we see that he was exalted to his rightful place, again, as Lord of all, we see, visibly, that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because he is Lord of all, uh, we were commanded in chapter 2 to obediently work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because God was at work in us. You see, God works through his spirit by his word in us, and we are to work that out in obedience as we trust him and obey him. And then we had the first basic command after that, which was to do all things without complaining and disputing because we are lights in this world. The world complains about everything. The world disputes about everything. But we as believers need to take the command to heart and be obedient and not do so. And then Paul pointed out in the end of chapter 2, three selfless examples of humility, including himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, he reminded us again, because we need to be reminded that there are threats to our faith. There are false teachers and false brethren or make-believers. And Paul says, hey, we are not like them. Beware of them. Beware of the dogs. We are the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. And he says, here's what a true believer looks like and a true one who is serving him, who worship in the spirit of God, not in the flesh, uh, put, uh, boast in Christ Jesus, not in self, and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, the real, the real true deal, the real deal as a Christian doesn't put confidence in their flesh, especially one who is leading and teaching, such as Paul, an apostle. And we see that the Apostle Paul said at that point, hey, if anyone had the credentials to put confidence in their flesh religiously, he was the one. And he says all the stuff that he had. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day. All this stuff as to the law, blameless. He Religiously, he had the cup on the outside, very clean. But when he came to Christ Jesus, he realized that everything was lost or refuse in, 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 in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, knowing the God of the universe through a right relationship with him. And then we saw his all-consuming desire was just to do that, to be like Christ, to press forward to the goal, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to that upward goal, the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, he encouraged all of us, believers to imitate him and those who walk like him to think like him to trust jesus christ to focus on him to not set your mind on the earthly things but to set your focus on christ and then we came to chapter four where we were told to therefore my beloved he says whom i long to see my joy and crown so stand firm in the lord there's a lot of opposition right now if you're a true believer. If you want to do the right thing, you got all hell coming against you. you got the world, you got your own flesh, all these things. But when we stand firm in the Lord, he enables us to walk rightly. He delivers us from temptation. He protects us from the evil one. So stand firm in the Lord. It's the Lord is the one that holds you up. 
And then he began to address an issue in the body between two ladies who were following the Lord, but yet were having a spat. That they were to live in harmony, or literally the word said, be same-minded, the same thing we saw earlier. Think the way Christ uh, revealed to us. He was obedient to the point of death. He was humble, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He saw others as more important than himself by obeying the Father's will. And that's how you get rid of disputes. You do the same thing. Live in harmony in the Lord, Yudia and Syntyche. And then after that, we were shown how that we can avoid uh, the, the, the trap of worry and anxiety. And boy, it is a trap, and we all know it because we've all worried and we all are anxious at times. But for God's people, we need to remember that we are to let our forbearing spirit be known to all men because the Lord is near. No matter what's happening to you, the Lord is near. He's taking care of things. He's watching over you. And then we saw the direct command, be anxious for nothing. But through everything, through prayer and supplication, with prayer and thanksgiving, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses comprehension, will guard or garrison your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Instead of worrying, pray about it. Bring those things up before God that you are concerned about. Stop worrying about it, but start bringing it before him. Lord God, this situation is before me. I need your help. Help me to see it your way. Protect my heart and mind. Help me not to, not to worry and to focus on it, but to trust you because you're faithful. Thank you, Lord God. You're such a gracious God, but I'm going through this and help me. Help me, Lord God. And then we came to the point in which we are to, uh, which we saw what we are to be focusing on. And we'll, re- we'll, we'll review that in a minute. But it comes up to our passage where verses 8 and 9 are really together. We studied verse 8 the last two times together. And we're going to study verse 9 today. So beginning with our passage, I'm going to review and read verse 8 and 9. And we'll talk about 8 for a minute. And then we'll go to verse 9, which we're going to be in. So again, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to back up to verse 8, and let's read that together. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You see, where our mind dwells is very important. Where we, what we think about is extremely important. In the Proverbs it says, so as the man thinks, so he is, what we think about. And we're to think about the things of Christ. Yes, we don't forget about what's going on around us. We don't forget about what's happening in our relationships at work and in the world. But we see those things filtered through these things, the truth, and those things of Christ which are good and right and just and honorable. Those things which are worthy of praise. Although we're going through difficulties, yes, I can praise the Lord God because I know greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. I can praise him because I know all things work together for good to those who love him, right? Who are called according to his purpose. I can see things through his uh, perspective, his will as revealed in his word. And so we saw that this list encompassed the boundaries in which our thoughts should dwell. And if it's not there, then we need to confess, Yes, there are bad things, but we see them rightly through what God says. Each and every thought brought to this point. And you'll remember I shared this the last two times we were together in Philippians that there are two commands, one in verse 8 and one in verse 9. The first one in verse 8 is let your mind dwell on these things. That's the command. 
This is where you should be thinking. You see, our problem is stinking thinking. Our problem is thoughts that are out of control. And if you're a believer, we are to learn to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, the world can't do that. They don't know Christ, so they have to have all kinds of things to help them get their thoughts right or whatever it might be. And it doesn't work, by the way. But we as believers are to hold every thought captive. We are to let our mind dwell on these things. And then for our passage, notice this is the the command here in the middle of verse 9. Practice these things. Practice these things. That's our command, and we're going to see that. So as we begin... Notice that we are to be doing the things that we have been taught and received from the Word and have been exemplified in the Word. If this is for believers, if you're not a believer, it's not going to make sense. You try to go out, you'll become a Pharisee. It'll be all on the outside. If you're really good, you can make the outside really clean. If not, you're going to be, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to rebel. This is for those who have trusted in Christ Jesus. And so our passage says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the assumption is, yes, you have learned, you have received, and you have seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will or shall be with you. Isn't that what we want in all of our trouble? We want peace. And there's so much frantic search for peace in the midst of difficulty within people's lives. My parents used to call it the frantic search for happiness. But guess what? It doesn't fulfill Only the God of peace can give you true peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, right? They have a false peace. It doesn't last. It's not, it it always reaps something later. So we have this tremendous passage here. And again, the command is practice these things. Now we're going to look at what these things are, but I want to look at the verb first. I want to look at what we are to do, and then we'll talk about what these things are. Now, this verb translated practice here is translated practice usually because uh, the verb to do things when it's ongoing in Greek means to practice. So like if I'm to do something once, that's doing, right? But if I'm doing it over and over again, I'm practicing it. If I'm, if I'm playing the trumpet of the French horn, practicing over and over again versus just playing it once, you see? And now there are two Greek words uh, that are translated normally do and practice. The first one is poieo, and that just means to do or to practice when it's in the present tense, continually, habitually do. We see this in 1 John. But then there's another word which is used in our passage called proso, and it speaks of doing the same thing or practicing if it's ongoing, but it carries a different sense to it. Greek language is very vivid. It carries the sense of accomplishing. Don't just do it, but accomplish it. Accomplish it. Accomplish it over and over again, he's going to say. So then the doing has the idea of accomplishing or carrying out an action. So like Poyero, we see that, but it's ongoing. It's ongoing. That's why it's translated practice. It's in the present tense. And it also is, for believers, it is a command. We are commanded here by God through his word, Paul inspired by the Spirit, to practice these things. To continually, habitually accomplish, carry out, or do these things. We are to continually, habitually accomplish, carry out, do these things. That's the main command here. But what is it that we are to be continually accomplishing as believers? 
What are we to be doing? Are we to be continually feeding the poor, continually evangelizing, continually worshiping? What are we to do? You see, the world in the church is very good at giving lists of things to do. Ten things you must do to have a good marriage. Ten purposes, whatever it might be. There's a lot of lists, but here we're going to see it has to do with what God has revealed in his word. So what are these things? Let's read them. Verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things or continually, habitually accomplish these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, there's four other verbs here. Learned, aorist tense, the things that you've learned already. The things that you've received already. It's a done deal. The things that you have heard and seen in me, Paul says. Done deal. And as to the grammar of this passage, the way it goes is you have the things you have learned, done deal. The things you have received, done deal. And then you have the sense heard and seen in me, which refers to the Apostle Paul. So for all of us, the things we have learned, received, and then the things we have heard and seen in the Apostle Paul here in context. So then continually practice, accomplish the things that they had first of all learned. The things that they had learned. And so what have they learned? What is he talking about here? What does he talk about when believers, when we speak of what believers have learned? What is he speaking of when he speaks of uh, uh, these people here? What you have learned, Philippians, practice this, accomplish this. Well, the verb translated learned here is monfano. It's the exact same uh, verb that speaks of a disciple, a learner. It speaks of someone who has placed themselves under the authority to learn, a disciple. But this here is the idea of learning. It speaks of learning something that has been taught or observed. And it's crucial that we understand what Paul is saying here. Because our behavior, what we do or accomplish in Christ is based on what we have learned, completed action. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on our own wisdom. It's not based on our own abilities. It's not based on our preferences. It's not based on our works. It's not based on our intellect. It is based on what we have learned. And the assumption is, believer, you've learned. You've learned from the Lord. Now, Paul knows that this church was fed. Paul knows that they knew the truth that he had brought to them. He knew that they had learned. And so then we see that we are to be accomplishing what we have learned. It is faith that works. It is faith that actually works. It's a real faith, not a dead faith. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, the religious can do all kinds of works externally. That's not what this is talking about. This is obedience that is driven from faith, from genuine faith in the person of Jesus Christ, believing what he said and acting upon his will from his word. You see, we need to recognize the, param- the, the incredible importance of this simple statement. The Christian life cannot be lived apart from being taught. Apart from being taught. Apart from receiving sound teaching. And again, isn't that not what disciples are? In Matthew 28, turn with me to Matthew 28, what is called the the Great Commission 28. 
And the Lord Jesus, after having risen from the dead, has, has gathered his disciples and he is giving them uh, his instructions. Now, this has always been kind of twisted around, and if we just read it rightly, I think we'll understand it. This is really uh, a verse that's been used for everybody to go everywhere in the world and start evangelizing. I don't think that's exactly what it says. We're going to see that evangelism is, mu- is a must, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's risen from the dead. He's proved who he really is. Go, therefore, or literally, in your going. It's a participle. As you go, do what? Make disciples. That's 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 the thing. That's the actual command. Make disciples. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The first point is, you don't make a disciple of someone who is not saved. You don't make a disciple of someone who has not claimed and trusted that they've trusted in Christ and evidence that claim by an outward action of baptism. You don't disciple people who aren't truly saved. First step, they need to be saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then notice this, you have baptizing, I-N-G, and teaching. So make disciples, the main verb, then baptizing and teaching. That's how you do it. Affirming they're truly saved. Secondly, notice what he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. He's talking to the disciples. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. A disciple is one who has placed themselves under the authority of Christ to learn from him so that they would then obey or observe what he has said. Teaching them to observe all that I have said, he says here. Teaching them. That's what we are. If you say I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you have, re- you have submitted yourself to learn his will and you are desiring to have his will over your will in your life. Now, it's a struggle. I know that and we fail. That's why true believers are the confessors of sin. True believers confess sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then, we see that disciples of Christ are those who learn, who learn. And the basis of our relationship with the Lord came from being taught the Word of God. First of all, being taught the gospel. You see, someone shared and taught us, in a sense, the gospel. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to see the Apostle Paul uses the same phraseology about learning. About learning. And the Apostle Paul is always so thankful for true believers, by the way, and he grieves over the false ones. Those who are on their way to destruction. Colossians 1, verse 3, and it's really close to Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that's what it is, right? It's not just faith in the general. Faith in Christ Jesus and your love which you have for all the saints. That's the evidence. you got a love for the saints which you didn't have before. Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing as it has been doing in you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you 
learned it just as you learned it. You learned the truth that you were a sinner. You learned the truth that Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on human flesh. You learned the truth that he was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he died for your sins. You learned the truth that he was buried and raised on the third day. You learn the truth that there is a day of judgment, that everyone will stand before the Lord. The appointed man wants to die and then the judgment. There is condemnation for sin, but yet Jesus Christ paid it all. And there is a hope laid up for you in heaven if you trust in Jesus Christ. You learned that. You learned it. And not only do we learn, we learn about Jesus Christ. We have in Ephesians Chapter 4, but you did not learn Christ that way, speaking of sin. If indeed you have heard him and been taught in him that the truth is in Jesus. You see, we learn through the word of God by the power of the spirit of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that is out of order, all kinds of stuff. You look through 1 Corinthians, everything he's doing, he's addressing issues in the church. Now, the assumption is, after 2 Corinthians, they responded. They responded. They're true believers. The fakers don't respond. True believers do. They're reprovable, like we see in Proverbs. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is addressing the pride of Corinth in elevating men. I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of these people. You know, and Paul has to shred it down. And he gives the example of when he came, chapter 2, he came without superior to speech or, 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 or wisdom, but he proclaimed the word of God, that their faith would not rest in men, but in God. And then he goes on to explain what he, they proclaimed, what, what he really brought forth. That's what I want to read here, verse 6, chapter 2. Yet we do speak wisdom, in contrast to not speaking man's wisdom. To those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age, the 2 Corinthians 2, 6, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom. That's what he proclaimed. In a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And notice that hidden stuff that we couldn't ever think up. He says, verse 10, For to us God has revealed them through the Spirit. God has revealed his truth to us. Later on in this passage, you'll say we have the mind of Christ. He's revealed God's will to us in his word. He says through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now look at verse 12. This is for believers. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you received the Spirit of God, the teacher, the helper, and notice what he says, that we might know the things freely given to us from God. We were given the Spirit so that we could learn and understand these, these heavenly truths which I had not seen, ear has not heard, but now have been revealed to us in the Word of God. 
and the Word of God. You see, the basis for our walk with Christ is learning. And if there's learning, there needs to be, if the, for learning to happen, there needs to be teaching. That's why the Apostle Paul made it clear in Corinthians that first there were apostles, then prophets, then teachers in the church. Now, we don't have apostles and prophets anymore. God has solidified and brought us his completed word. So teachers are the highest office in a sense, not to elevate the person, but the office itself, because we are to learn and be equipped by the word of God so that we can accomplish what he says. Listen to what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. Turn, let's turn there, actually. 2 Timothy. you got all the T's. You'll find it. Look for first Thessalonians. Thess, look at all the T's and you'll get to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And these are Paul's last words to his disciple, Timothy, who is a pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let me go back a little bit to verse 12. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is what's going to happen in the church, okay? But notice what he says. Timothy, that's going to happen, but you do something different, which is, which is a contrast to what they're doing. You, however, continue in the things that you have what? Learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And here is what he's learned. All Scripture is inspired by God. That's written word, graphe, Scripture. And profitable for teaching and thus learning, right? Teaching and for reproof and for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Pastors are to be teaching the Word of God because that's what we are to learn so that we can do what we have learned. I need to learn from God how I'm to treat my wife. I need to learn from God how my attitudes should be towards difficulty. I need to learn from God how I should work at my workplace. I need to learn these things and then do them. And then notice chapter 4. We have the solemn command here in First uh, Second Timothy Therefore, you could say it's implied, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. If you are going to a church and you are not being reproved, rebuked, and instructed with great patience, something is wrong. That's what pastors are to be doing. Not preaching stories, not showing movie clips, not bringing animals on stage, but preaching the Word of God. Preach the Word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. And by the way, he told Timothy, first of all, do it to yourself first, and then, you know, examine yourself first, right? I'll see that in another part of First Timothy. And he says, For a time will come in which they will not endure. They can't sit under sound teaching that means healthy doctrine or truth but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires that's what's happening in every church right now okay and they will accumulate for themselves of course their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth which is the word of god and listening he says here and will turn aside to myths or literally stories 
stories. You might get a verse or two here and there, but you're going to hear a bunch of stories over and over again. Might be true verses, might be true concepts, but you're not being fed. That's what's happening these days. And it is contrary to what Paul charged Timothy before heaven and earth. A tremendous charge. So then, to learn, you must be taught. And to be taught, you must place yourself in obedience in the context of a biblical church where you are being taught. And it isn't just every Sunday. It's choosing during the week to be taught the Word of God. Whether it's Bible studies, whether it's good sermons from from people that are truly preaching the Word of God, whether it's your own personal study for the sake of learning about your Savior and learning what He wants to do through you. It's a personal relationship. And so then we see... Timothy was to continue in the things that he learned. Where did he learn it? From the Scripture. It's the Word of God, not stories or psychology. It's the Word of God that Paul tells Timothy to preach. It's the Word of God that people will turn their ears away from listening to and accumulate teachers that obviously teach other things. But continue in the things you have learned. It's from the Word of God. It's from the Word of God. Now, let me give you one warning. You can be in a really good church that teaches you the Word of God, but if your heart isn't right, you're just going to be a hypocrite. You're going to be so much more spiritual on the outside. You're going to have all the verses. You can... Knowledge puffs up apart from a relationship where you're depending on Jesus Christ. You see, we need to learn the Word of God, but it's in the context of, I am inadequate, Lord God. I can't do this, but I'm trusting you. You're good. I believe what you've said. I trust in you. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to work through me to accomplish these things as I'm prompted. You're in a conversation and and it starts to go awry and the word comes up in your heart. Abandon the quarrel before it starts. You know, you have you have this, the, the truth of God by the God of the truth through his spirit pointing out things. Accomplish those things. Husbands, love your wives. Live with them in an understanding way. I need to be reminded of that by the spirit of God in my heart. Right? Wives, uh, submit, respect your husbands. Right? Have a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. These, what we learned, we are to apply, we are to accomplish or do. And what pride it is in churches that they don't teach the Word of God, because God's Word says, whoever speaks, let them speak as though they're the oracles of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And when we learn the Word of God, it actually protects us from bad guys. From bad guys. It protects us. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. I'm showing you verses that have this term learned in it. Romans chapter 16. And uh, verse 17. Now this, he's given all these greetings, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, I'm all done with this letter. And then all of a sudden, boom, this big warning comes in the middle. Guess it's important. Verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, this is in the church, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. They cause trouble. Watch out, scope out those who cause trouble, contrary to what? The teaching which you have learned. What did you learn? We're to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. What did you learn? We're to be forgiving one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. What did you learn? These, dis- these disputes are contrary to that. They're full of pride. Turn away from that. You learned the truth. You learned the truth. It'll protect you. It'll protect you. 
For such men are slaves not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Turn away. You see that stuff, get away from it. It's contrary to the teaching you have learned. You have learned. Well, let me ask you this. Are you being taught the word of God? It's really your choice. It's really your choice. Is it be, are you being taught on a habitual, habitual basis? The body of Christ is to be equipped by the word of God for every good work. In the early church, Acts 2.42, they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. True believers realize, I need to learn. Now you think, oh, Greg, you, you, you're pastoring, you study the Bible all the time, you got all this, you should know and learn so much. You know what, I've learned it all, but I'm like a cup with holes in the bottom. I've got to keep learning. I've got to keep going to the Word of God or I will forget. We are forgetful people. We need to renew our minds on a daily basis. So then we are to have whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, the excellent things, those things worthy of praise. And then whatever we have learned, what we have learned, we are to accomplish these things. And folks, it is the word of God that we receive. It is the word of God, First Peter chapter 2, that, that uh, we are to uh, long for because we grow in respect to salvation. It is the word of God that, that grows us and, and sanctifies us. The Lord Jesus would pray in uh, John 17, 17, Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. One other passage. Turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul was so happy because they accepted God's word for what it really was. And if you really realize what it is, it's God's word from, from a loving, gracious God who gave his son for you. You're going to accept it, and you're going to want to then do it. You're going to learn it and do it, because it teaches us about ourselves and what the Lord wants to do in us and what he calls for us to do. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, And the reason, and for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. God's word works in our hearts. It changes our thinking. It helps us understand the truth. It helps us understand what God's will is. But again, I warn you, there are those who learn but never come to the knowledge of the truth. There are those who can come to a good church and hear sermons day after day after day, but the heart is not right. They're not saved. There's hardness of heart or sin in their lives. 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning, speaking of the bad guys, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Learning is not everything as we're going to see. We need to learn and then receive. We heard earlier from Vadim what God says about this subject. You can be a hearer. But that may not mean that it is getting to the heart. Let's turn to James again, what uh, Vadim read for us. James 1, 21. So you need to be in a good church, but your heart needs to be right too. It needs to be dependent on Jesus. I can't do this, Lord God. Help me humbly coming before the word, the God of the word. Help me understand your word, Lord God. Help me. I need you. 
I need you. James 1.21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. There are people who come to church and hear the word every week and they delude themselves. Notice what he says here. For if anyone is a hearer of a word and not a doer, which means you haven't been changed on the inside, by the way. He says, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The illustration is you come look in the mirror, you see yourself, you, you recognize what you are, and then you walk away and you immediately forget what you are. So right when you're here, you're hearing it, but then when you leave, it's gone like that. That's a hearer who deludes himself. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, that's God's word, the law of liberty, and abides by it or abides with it. The word is staying with you. It's staying with you. He says, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. I've already mentioned chapter 2 of James, which says basically that uh, if you have faith that isn't working, can that be saving faith? The whole discourse in the middle of chapter 2 to the end is about saving faith. People have faith, but is that the type of faith that actually saved you? You see? You can't see, because if you truly got saved by trusting in Jesus Christ, you are going to be changed. And if you start sinning and messing up, God's going to spank you so that you will learn and grow in him. And it's a good thing, like a good father who loves would do. So some of you might think you're saved, but you might be deluding yourselves. You need to set your wickedness and malice aside. Confess it. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Receive the word that there's a judgment, and you stand convicted and condemned, but Jesus Christ paid the price, and that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Trust in Jesus Christ and be forgiven. Trust in him and be forgiven. There's even an illustration in Romans chapter 2. Let's turn it for a minute. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1, the end of it is condemning the pagan because they see what God's made and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans chapter 2 is condemning the Jew or the religious Jew who is doing everything on the outside, following God's word, but on the inside it's corrupt. They're not even, they're not doing. They're not doing. Romans chapter 2, verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. God is not partial about his judgment, by the way. But glory and honor and peace for every man who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, speaking of Jews, will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. You see, if I have trusted in Christ Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, which the Old Testament pointed to, all those sacrifices, if I trust in the, in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He will enable me by His Spirit to obey His Word. He gives me a new desire. I actually want to obey, and my heart hurts when I don't obey. He changes us. He changes us. And then he gives an example here in Romans, which I think is often misunderstood, but the four helps us understand. Verse 14, for when the Gentiles, speaking to Jewish religious people who aren't saved, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature or instinctively the things of the law, that's obeying it, by the way, not having a law 
they are a law to themselves, for they show the work of the law written on their hearts. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he puts his word on our hearts, and we're able to do it. We're able to do it when we trust him, when we obey him. So do you see how important it is to be learning the word of God? I need to learn the word of God. But then I'm commanded, as Paul says here, to accomplish. Do follow through with the action. Follow through with, with being a good worker at work. Doing your work hardly unto the Lord and not to men. Not pilfering, not, not having the wrong attitude because you serve the Lord. Follow through with loving your wife and living in an understanding way. Follow through with making the Lord the first in your life. Not leaning on your understanding, but trusting him. Follow through with not worrying, but praying. Follow through. Accomplish it, brothers and sisters. So then, we are to learn, and it's your responsibility to learn. It's my responsibility to teach. There's a stricter judgment for teaching, but it's not my responsibility for you to learn. That's yours. That's yours. And so he says, the things you have learned, accomplish them. Accomplish them. Well, notice, it's not just simply speaking of just learning, because there are those who learn or hear, maybe learn, but they don't really receive it in their hearts. Back to Philippians chapter 3, or 4, excuse me, Philippians 4, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. We need to learn the truth. We need to place ourselves in a position to learn with a right heart. Not a hard heart, but a right heart that is receptive, willing to be corrected by God, convicted and corrected and trained. Then secondly, we are to receive it. To receive it. Now, I hear of sometimes that ministry is being discredited because of the ungodly response of those taught. People that aren't serving the Lord, people that are messed up in churches where they're being taught the Word of God. That's not the fault of the person who's teaching. It's the fault of the person who's receiving or not. You see? The word translated received here, paralambano, speaks to take to oneself, to take alongside. I'm going to take alongside something. So I learn it, but I take it alongside. I receive it. I receive it. You see, and we receive it, we take it alongside when the Spirit illumines it and helps us understand. Let's turn to one other passage, to John chapter 16. And the Lord Jesus is on his, on his, the night he's betrayed, he's talking to his disciples, he's going to go. But he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to bring you another one like me, a helper. I'm going to say, he's going to send thy spirit. And so we see in John 16 this encouragement to his disciples and the apostles. John 16, verse 12, and we get a view of what the Spirit of God does. He says in John 16, 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he's so gracious, the Lord is, by the way. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. That's the job of the Spirit of God, to take the things of God and reveal it to us, the things of Christ. All things my Father are mine, therefore he takes that of mine and he will disclose it to you. The Spirit of God enables the child of God to learn and then receive the truth of God. 
the truth of God. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 2, I shared it earlier, Paul was so thankful that they received God's word, not as the word of men, but the word of God for what it really is, the word of God. They received it rightly. Now, if you don't receive God's word, it is an evidence that you are not saved. 1 John 4, verses 4 to 6. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in, the wor- in you than he is in the world. They, the bad guys, he's saying, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You want to know why some churches are so bad and so full of people? Because the world loves it. Okay? And he says here, we are from God, speaking of the apostles who are bringing forth the word of God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What is your response to the word of God? If it's not right, God is pointing out in your heart you need a savior. If your response is not right and he is so he loves you so much, he'll save you if you call out to him. Now we believers can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and we can be not right at times. Just confess and you are immediately forgiven. And move forward, press forward, not looking back. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So then what is your response to the word of God? When you come here Sunday after Sunday, what is your response? Do you praise the Lord for it and then walk out and it's right at the other ear? Or are you convicted of it? Is it working in your heart? Do you have a desire? Yes, I've blown it here, Lord. I've failed there. But thank you for revealing that. Thank you for forgiving me. I want to be different in the way I I speak to people. I want to be different in the way I treat people. I want to love my brothers and sisters like you have commanded me to do. I trust you to do it through me. Help me, Lord Jesus. So then, the things you have learned and the things you have received, accomplish them. Brothers and sisters, how is your accomplishing going? Some of you know a lot. You have learned a lot and you've received a lot, but maybe it's not being accomplished in your life. What are your sin do you need to confess? Just confess it. Be forgiven. Be forgiven. Are you a friend, friend of the world? Confess that. What is it? And then take the truth that you have learned in a real relationship with Jesus and apply it and do it and do it. Continually accomplish, continually practice these things. And then look at our passage again back in Philippians. The things you have learned, the things you have received. And now he says, and heard and seen in me. You've heard when he's not in their presence. You have seen in me, Paul says. Look at the things I have done as I have trusted Christ and accomplished those things. We have an inspired example here of the Apostle Paul. A, a, a man, a human being like you and I who trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He says, do these things, do these things. Remember what he said earlier in chapter 3, verse 17. Look at this. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What's the pattern? Considering others is more important. Than What's the pattern? There's a whole bunch of passages. Let me share a few. We're going to imitate his prayer life. Chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God in all my remembrance of you. We're to imitate his understanding of doctrine and God's sovereignty. I'm confident 
that the work he began, he will complete it in Christ Jesus. We're to imitate his attitude towards circumstances. He says, I know that my circumstances have turned out for greater progress of the gospel. We're to imitate his focus, to live as Christ and to die as gain. We're to imitate his view of life and death. He was hard-pressed, but he knew that to stay on would be to serve those in the body of Christ. We're to imitate his view of what is valuable and what is not. But whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. We're to imitate his concern regarding false brethren. Beware the dogs, the evil workers, the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. We're to imitate his passion to reach the goal of like-mindedness, Christ-likeness. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal, the upward prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The things we've seen in Paul, they're all throughout Scripture. Accomplish them. You're going through a trial. Look at how Paul, who trusted Jesus, functioned in that trial. Look at how he responded. Accomplish it. Not externally, but from a heart that is changed, that is trusting Jesus Christ. Well, how can we do this? We must abide in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, every time I preach and teach, I am so aware every single time, I can't do this, Lord Jesus. You must help me. And then I trust him to help me because he's called me to do it. I can't love my wife the way the Lord wants me to, but I step out in faith and trust him. And when I fail, I confess that. I can't raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord apart from him helping. And I trust him. And I step out in obedience and do what he says because he's right there enabling me to do it. I can't do my work hardly unto, unto, unto the Lord rather than men without him helping. But his word is working in my heart. I can't keep myself from worrying, but I obey his word and pray about it instead. Accomplish those things. Accomplish it. Accomplish it. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. What are you trusting in? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The way we are able to accomplish and do what he says is by abiding and trusting in Jesus Christ. If you don't do that, you become a Pharisee. You become a Pharisee or a rebel because you realize you can't do it and you get mad. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Just do it, right? Do it. Accomplish it. And then as we finish, we have a tremendous promise for those who will do so. The things you have learned and received and heard in me, practice. Accomplish these things continually. And the God of peace shall be with you. What a tremendous promise. The God of the universe who is characterized by peace will be with you. He will be with you. And you say, well, wait a second. I thought God is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. I know those verses. Yes, he will never leave us nor forsake us. So what is this saying? I believe it's speaking of the fact that you, although God is with us, he has a spirit in us, that sometimes he's not with us. 
You know, when I'm sinning, he's not with me on that. When I'm making bad decisions, he is not with me on that. And I experience the result, a lack of peace. You know, when I choose to do the wrong thing, is God there affirming that and helping me and enabling me? No, he is not with me. But when we're doing what we've learned, received and seen and heard in Paul and other biblical examples in Scripture, you can go from go through the Scriptures and see them, the God of peace is with you. Tremendous passage. i got three left I want to share and then we're done. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 41, middle of your Bibles. This passage encouraged me greatly through one of the testings the Lord allowed me to have many, many, many years ago. Many years ago. This is a verse I clung to. It was, it was it. I clung to the Lord and this verse. And that was it. And that was it. And God was faithful to bring me through. Someday I'll tell you about it. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously think about, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then another encouragement. Behold, those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. And he goes on. The Lord is with us in the midst of our troubles and trials. Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord look to and fro about the whole earth, throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. When you choose to do the right thing, let's say you have a situation, give me an example, in a marriage, and you need to confront something graciously. Yes, love covers a multitude of sins, but you know the Lord wants you to confront it, not to allow it to go on. And you know all hell will break loose in that relationship. Trust the Lord, accomplish his word, and the God of peace is with you. It is always better to experience the difficulty of obedience than reap the fruit of complacency and disobedience. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. We know from Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age, right? With you to the end of the age. You see, when you're obeying God in whatever situation, no matter what happens, you're accomplishing his will, God is with you. He is supporting you. The God of peace. And guess what? There is a ton of peace. We don't have, when we don't have peace is when there's sin, by the way. We're not trusting the Lord. But there's peace. The God of peace is with you. The God of peace is with you. Well then, are you a doer of the word or just deluded? There's some of you here today that don't know the Lord. And God is gracious because he loves you. And he sent his only son to pay the full price for your sin. If you'll admit it, you'll turn to Jesus, believe that he's God who took on human flesh that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, crowd, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you've got to humble yourself. That's our problem, sin. You've got to humble yourself. He'll save you. And there are some of you here today who are believers who are not accomplishing what you've learned. Maybe because you haven't learned because you've placed yourself in bad teaching. You're being disobedient. Be in a good church where you are taught, where the word is preached day in and day out like we see saw in 2 Timothy. And yet there's some of you who have the Word of God and you're not accomplishing what it is. What sin is in the way? Confess it and, oh, we are forgiven and move forward praising Him for that forgiveness. Forgiven. Confess that sin. And then the things that you have learned 
and received and heard and seen in biblical examples from Scripture. Practice. Accomplish these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage and this time we've had together. There's so much truth. And it is so encouraging. Help us to continue to do what you've called us to do. To, to, to obey you in serving you and the giftings you've given us. To obey you in the relationships we're in. To obey you uh, in the work sphere. Whatever it might be. To obey you, Lord God. As children, to obey parents, Lord God. So I thank you, Lord God, for this. And we can't do it apart from trusting in your son, Jesus. Help us to be those who are continually recognizing our inadequacy, but trusting in Christ's full adequacy that we would accomplish on an ongoing basis what your will is for our lives. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.